This is a Hot Pie Original. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Inhumane Podcast, Episode 2, a Hot Pie Media Original. It is January 2021, and it really couldn't be a better time than to listen to this podcast because it is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Um, It's also known as Human Trafficking Awareness Month. That was established like back in 2010 um, by actually President Obama. Um, But prior to that, January 11th is Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Um, And that happened back in like 2007. So it's been around for quite some time. Um, So hopefully you can link something about human trafficking since it is a local, statewide, national and international issue. Um, It is not something that's going away, but you have plenty of time all month long to post something, um, especially the main part is about awareness, right? That is, I think, the main thing that most people uh, just need to know is just the awareness of it. So I am your host again, Antoinette Villarreal, and I thank you all again for being here, listening uh, as an individual or as a group. And, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people about their New Year's resolution, and we know 2020 was something that nobody expected. And a lot of people just want to kind of crumple up that 2020, throw it in the bin and not even think about it again. Um, However, I do believe that a lot of us had a lot of time to reflect on what it is that we really find, right, that's important. Um, Usually with New Year's resolutions, there's so much about self, right? Like, what is it that we want to do this year? Um, But again, talking to a bunch of different people, We've just had those conversations that, hey, you know what? It's not just all about self. Yes, let's do a little bit of that. But 2020 kind of opened up our eyes to so many inhumane things that are happening that honestly, we just didn't you know, pay attention to because we were just going on with our daily hectic lives. And we know, especially here in America, it is all about the hustle, right? Like it's all about the hustle, which that really means it's all about me and what I need to do for that hustle. So I'm hoping for the best. And I'm assuming that despite the state of COVID, despite the lockdowns that are still happening and kind of the unknown, that you vowed to help humanity. And if you're listening to this podcast, if someone shared this link with you or you found it on your own, but regardless, you're listening, that combating human trafficking must be on your heart somewhere or it's somewhere on your radar. Um, and to me, that is like one of the the first steps, right? It's, it, it's there. Um, you don't know maybe what it's all about, but you're eager to find out. There's something sketchy you've seen before and you'd like to know a little bit about you. For me, that's just humanity, right? Like there's something erupting inside of you that is just saying, hey, something's not right there. Should I do something? Should I not do something? What can I do? So that's what this podcast is really all about. And we really need to be like this one loud voice together. Like we, we can literally be this one loud voice. And I really don't find, well, further, when we, when we get further down into these episodes, you're going to see how 
all of these issues that people are interested in, whether it's foster care, whether it's homeless, whether it's hunger, um, all of these things, how much so much of that is tied into human trafficking? Because all those are vulnerabilities. And those vulnerabilities is what these predators prey on. So I can find a way. I, I know there's a way we've done it so many times that so many issues that people care about is is linked to human trafficking or, or human trafficking is kind of weaved into that. So I say it again, one loud voice together um, and collectively, we really can be the group to abolish slavery. Now, this is our problem, which, right, that makes it that this is our fight. So listen to when I say that, like abolish slavery. Um, if you didn't hear the first episode, please go back and listen because we talked about how Abe Lincoln did that right over like 180 years ago. And yet we're still facing the same problem. It just looks completely different. Now, when I say that this is our problem, this is our fight in the true sense of diversity, and I'm not talking about the diversity that like the current media is telling you about. I'm talking about true diversity. That means it's people with all different kinds of education, whether you dropped out of school or you have a PhD or you're a tradesman, right? It means that we all have completely different thinking, totally different mindset. Um, there's different age groups. There's different ethnicities and religions, um, thought process, like all of it. We need every single person within these demographics because slavery can truly vanish on our watch, like just eradicate it altogether. Um but we need this diverse group because, you know, human trafficking, it's it's not one dimensional, <laughs> like at all. It's not one dimensional. Um, it's dynamic. It's complex. And it's completely like it's hard to detect. Right. So because of that, it's not this one size fits all. And too many times. And, and honestly, that's the error of so many nonprofits and entities and law enforcement and the judicial system and government makes is we and the community let's let's not forget the community right is we think that human trafficking is this one size fits all and that we're just going to keep checking the boxes because checking the boxes then means that this person actually was trafficked um which we know that's not the case at all right so we don't just need social workers. We don't just need first responders or attorneys. We need all professions and those can be paid professions or not paid professions, right? So I'm talking to you stay-at-home moms. I'm talking to um, high schoolers and middle schoolers and elementary, like what better way to prevent and, uh, and abolish human trafficking than talking to some of our youngest? And like anything else, there's, of course, a way to do it. So we're not giving uh, young children, obviously, nightmares, but we can talk to them about real life things and they can be abolitionists themselves. Like, just imagine that we have little Abe Lincolns, right, or Lincolnettes walking around <laughs> somewhere just attacking human trafficking on all fronts um, because we need an army and you are that army. Um, now, I stated in our first episode that um, you know, again, we're, it needs all of us to eradicate human trafficking. Um, and human trafficking awareness is actually growing on social media, but 
people still don't really know how to take action, right? They don't really know what to do. They don't know how that they can help. It's like they're, they're getting all this information and then they're like, oh my gosh, human trafficking is a problem. Like they are starting to acknowledge human trafficking is a problem. And I'm, I'm thrilled about that, (laughs) that like it's, it's taken me over, you know, 13, 12 years to, to have more people call me about human trafficking opposed to me calling them and kind of being on my Uh, what it seemed to be like a soapbox. So I'm over the moon that people are becoming more aware and they know human trafficking is a problem here in the U.S. and not just abroad. But there's so much information. And because it's so complex, you they kind of have this like, awesome, I don't know what to do with my hands, right? Like I have all this information, but now I don't know what to do with it. So um, we here on the Inhumane podcast are going to give you some tips and tools on how you can help and what are some of the things you can do. Now, on that first episode, I did ask um, or I gave a call to action, which we're going to do on every episode because that is what it's going to take is all of us doing a little bit of something, all of us doing one step or two steps or five steps or 10 steps. It depends on you, right? And your lifestyle and your experience and all of these things. And just it's based on you and what it is that you want to do. So the call to action, um, and we'll pop it up on that on, you know, on the slide is what role do you want to play? Because everybody has a role, right? So what role do you want to play? Do you want to be proactive? Do you want to be reactive? Well, you, you could be both, right? It's completely up to you on what it is that you want to do. So if you haven't listened to that first episode, I highly recommend um, go back and listen to it so that you can decide what role fits you, right? Because we're here for a reason, but I'm not trying to tell everybody, these are all the things that you need to do. Um, steps one through a hundred, put it in a bow and then have you dissect it and figure it out. <laughs> so it really is... Um, that's how we're going to get everyone to help is that it really is up to you, your lifestyle. So what role do you want to play proactive or reactive, right? Now, when people, you know, when we're starting to have conversation and people either discover or I share what it is I do, like an inner impact coach or a life coach for human trafficking survivors, and I combat human trafficking with curriculums and trainings and this podcast and things of that nature. Um, you know, it it's so great that first time when people just don't know because then they start to open up and they begin to share what they know about human trafficking. Um, and you're starting again to see that awareness that people are like, wow, this is a global slave trade, right? That it is happening on our watch. Um, even though that most of them still think that majority of human trafficking happens when someone is being kidnapped or held against their will. Um, you know, in some cases that of course that's happening, but we want to give you those tools so that you can make sure that you know, and you feel comfortable of making that call, right. Of identifying that someone is being trafficked. Um, now human trafficking again, which, um, we'll put that up on, on the slide. Um, or actually, no, we don't have to put that one up on the slide. Um, but there are three words that we always have to remember about human trafficking. In order to identify it, right, it's three words. So it's force, fraud, and coercion. Force, fraud, and coercion. 
it's those three. That's the only way you can prove that someone has been has been trafficked. So at least one of these actions need to occur or, you know, obviously it can be it can be all of them. So force, fraud or coercion. Three words to remember all, all the time in this in this field, in this arena. Um, but I have a really big question for you. So whatever you're doing, if you're listening, if you just pause for a moment, because I really want you to think about this question. Um, and my question is, and we'll put, we'll put this uh, slide up, is how many slaves do you encounter in a day? By the way, I'm very comfortable with, uh, with being uncomfortable and like being silent. <laughs> I'm totally comfortable with that. Um, so when I ask how many slaves do you encounter a day, it really is to get your mind thinking. How many slaves do you encounter in a week? How about, how about a month? Now, because some of us are completely working from home and barely go out, so how many slaves do you encounter in person as well as online, right? We do a lot of online shopping. We're doing a lot of online remote work. How many? Is it zero? Is it five? Is it, I have no idea. Or are you completely like shocked and baffled by my question? And you're probably thinking to yourself, hey, lady, this this question doesn't pertain to me, right? I'm a good law abiding citizen. I don't hang out with debauchery or I don't hang out uh, in the underground or the deep, dark web. Like nobody comes up to me and asks me, hey, you know, um, do you know where I can find any prostitutes or do you know where I can find um, any human trafficking victims? Well, I would imagine that that is a majority of you, if not all of you. Okay. So um, I asked this question because I want you to know and to look for who's hiding in plain sight. So who is hiding in plain sight, right? Now we're going to go to this next slide and it has, um, and for you audio listeners, we'll have the slide up, but I'll read them to you. Um, and you can go back and look at Inhumane on Instagram and Twitter and, and the Hot Pie Media YouTube page or channel. So here are a bunch of industries, okay? Here are a bunch of industries where you could encounter human trafficking in some way, shape, or form. It's just hiding in plain sight. So let's kind of take a look at it. So we have es escort services. Now, most people assume that maybe there's some sex exchange for money involved, right? Um, but with that assumption, people also assume, well, human trafficking or forgive me, escorting is also a choice, right? Like someone looked at that ad or went to an agency and said, yeah, I want to be, you know, be an escort. Um, you know, and I think some of you, again, are saying, hey, I don't hang out in that circle. No one stops me and asks, do you know where I can get any, you know, any escorts? So that's blatant and like right in your face. So you're, you're, you're probably right. Most individuals do not encounter escorting in that, in that kind of way. But what if I told you, or actually let me ask this question, you know, how many of you know someone that's at university that's at community college? Um, you know, how, how many do you know? Right. We have more people at university, you know, in this day and age than we ever did before. Well, escorting targets our college students. 
um, because, right, they're, they don't have a lot of income coming in. They want certain things. Um, so again, I, I know I'm, I'm hearing and seeing people say, well, that's a choice, but they're thinking it's something different. They're thinking that they're just going to go out on a date or, or what have you, that that other stuff is not involved. Okay. But traffickers are preying on our bright minds, right? We're considering people that go into college or into university are our future, yet they're being preyed upon. So if you know someone or if you have hopes and dreams of your children going to, you know, going to college, that's who they're targeting. There are ads specifically targeted towards college students that I'm, I graduated a long, 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 long time ago. So I don't know what targets, right? They're, they're not targeting me. I'm, I'm not a college student. So we don't know. Most parents, when they ship off their kids, they don't know how predators are preying on their uh, young daughters specifically, um, as well as there's other college students that are recruiting their fellow college students to escorting. So brief, brief, just a little summary. We're going to have tons of episodes about escorting. But I just wanted to give you some information and it's really to kind of open your mind, right? And just bring down those misconceptions that we may have. So our next one is illicit massage. So there are massage parlors all over the United States that give a little bit more than a massage. Um, And a lot of times the workers in there are um, being kind of held against their will in regards to like debt bondage is one of them. Um, Their passports or visas are being held uh, against their will, right? They, they don't have access to them, so they can't go anywhere. Um, that's one. We have outdoor solicitation. We have residential sex. A lot of people have questions about that. Um, that's really just running a brothel like out of out of your own home, which again, a lot of people think, I don't live on that side of town. Um, if you look up, uh, I mentioned on the first episode, but if you look up the woodlands out of Houston, Texas, um, and you look up human trafficking in the woodlands, very expensive area to live in, um, but they too were running a brothel out of their home. So it really can happen anywhere. Um, the next one we have is domestic work. So think of like your nannies or housekeepers. Um, they're there working excruciating hours. They may or may not be getting paid. They may have a debt to get paid off. You know, they have to pay off. Um, few examples. Now, before I go any further, that's one of the things I want to mention. To kind of circle back to what I said earlier, where human trafficking is not this like checking the box, right? So it all doesn't look the same. I'm just giving you a couple of examples, but there's so much more. I mentioned that it is complex. It is complex because these predators, these traffickers are geniuses. They are masterful at totally changing the direction because we're looking at one thing. So I'm just giving you examples, uh, again, just so we can kind of get on the starting page, right? Um, bars and strip clubs, kind of similar to escorting in the sense of people's assumption that everyone is there by choice. That may be in the beginning, but it also can change. We'll talk about more in depth. Uh, pornography, traveling sales crews, restaurants and food services, um, peddling and begging. So this one, a lot of people assume like, oh, these people are homeless or we see a woman on the side of the road um, or I'm sure during like Christmas time, if anyone was out shopping, you probably saw them in a lot of uh, shopping malls or shopping strips. I know I did. 
um, and it's a woman, sometimes with children, sometimes by herself, um, young boys there as well. Um, they too can be uh, trafficked. This is definitely a form where they're actually just going and getting money um, based off of paying off of a debt to what their traffic is, their trafficker is making them do. Like, hey, go over there. You're young, right? We see a young person. We want to give them more money. Um, middle age, not so much. A lot of people's mentality is those people can work for it, but a younger person, let's give them money. And lo and behold, their trafficker is waiting for them in the parking lot and they just got to go hand over that, that money, right? Force, fraud, coercion. Force, fraud, coercion. Those three words um, will help you identify what, if someone is actually being trafficked, right? Or what human trafficking is. So we also have in the agriculture business, um, a lot of labor trafficking happening there, personal sex servitude. And that one is different than, um, for example, instead of pimping them out for like money, right, to people, um, it's almost like they become your own little, your own sex slave or a sex slave for your your circle of friends. So that's, that's how it's a little bit different. Um, we also have the industry of construction and hotel and hospitality, uh, landscaping. Um, now this is what I was waiting for is arts and entertainment. I'm sure most people are like arts and entertainment. Uh, that's extremely confusing. Well, I'll start with this one first. Like in the U S we have 800 like major music festivals, 800 alone. Um, that's not including all the small ones or medium sized ones, but most people think, hey, I'm going there with a good for a good time, right? I, I pay tickets, uh, I pay money for tickets, maybe a hotel, flight, we're there with friends or family, we're just having a good old time. How could anyone be trafficked here? Well, exactly what you said, you're having a good time. So other people's good time looks completely different. And the same I kind of despise the most is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like I despise that saying. And I know it has become pop, pop culture. Um, I know that it's like, hey, no, it's just because we're letting loose. It's things we wouldn't normally do at home. Um, well, with that mentality, when people go somewhere else, exactly that, right? They're doing things that they wouldn't normally do at home. That opens the gate for traffickers that opens the gate. That's like their gateway drug, if you will. It like opens the gate for them to bring these individuals in force, fraud or coercion. And you're having a good time with them, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. So from those good law abiding citizens I mentioned earlier, having a good time, we're not really doing anything wrong. You're going to have a good time. You meet somebody um, and maybe I'll do something sexually. Maybe you have to pay some money. Lo and behold, that person's being trafficked. So you don't know that she's not going to tell you that, or he's not going to tell you that, but that's what's happening. We think that they're all there by choice. So that's one part of like festivals, right? Now, let me tell you about the entertainment business. So I've been waiting for this article to, to come out, but, um, during quarantine, and I honestly can't remember which month it is, but of course, everybody is like knocking out their Netflix, right? <laughs> like That's what you're doing during quarantine in 2020. Um, all these different shows came out, right? Different rotations, some resurrected. Um, well, 
I remember seeing when Mulan was coming out, right? And I bet some of you are like, oh, yes, Mulan was a great movie, so on and so forth. We were waiting for it. Our kids were waiting for it. Um, I think it was like $30, if I'm not mistaken, like when it first came out. And I went, what? $30 to watch it in my house? Um, But I wasn't going to watch it anyway. I was looking out for it intentionally um, because there had been conversation all during the making. And you can go and find some media clips um, in regards to uh, people talking about that area and that native group of China where Mulan was actually being recorded um, or, or filmed, right? Now, forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, um, but it is, they were targeting supposedly um, the Uyghurs, okay? That is, that is a native group there in that area of China. Now, again, all of this is allegedly, right? Um, but at the end of the credits of Mulan as well, they give credit to certain groups there that maybe weren't so nice to the Uyghur, um, you know, indigenous group. So I highly advise you to go look at it and research it yourself. And we'll talk more about it, but I want to reference this article and you'll you'll have access to it as well. Um, but it actually comes from the Fair Labor Association, which is FLA, right? And their whole mission is like they promote and protect workers' rights and they even try to like improve the working conditions. And this is this is globally. And they they're pretty much trying to align everybody to have like these international standards when it comes to um when it comes to workers' rights. Now what it reads here And I'm just going to read a piece about it, right? They have closely monitored the human rights abuses in Xinjiang. Okay, so I I looked it up. I heard it. That's how you pronounce it. Xinjiang, China, over like the past two years. Um, And so what they are doing, they're actually advising. And advising is a very nice word, to say the least, right? But they're telling companies that you cannot use them anymore, that area, um, for, for your supply chain, like can't use them. So the FLA has never told companies like you can no longer get product from a certain area. They bring it up, they mention it. They, um, obviously say, Hey, there's some human rights issues here. They, they make all that known, but they never tell someone no longer can get, um, your supply chain from this certain area. So this is like huge. This is honestly a a huge game changer um, for, you know, labor, human trafficking of of labor. Um, Now, I'll tell you in March, the FLA board of directors, they actually called the Chinese government and they asked them, they told them like, let's end forced labor and other human rights. Um, And these are all from like independent researchers. So there was like trying to be completely unbiased with these findings. Um, but I'm going to tell you there were like over a hundred, no, yeah, more than a hundred international civil society organizations to join forces for this call of action. Like people were just like, what is happening here? Um, they almost look like little concentration camps. If you see some of these videos that they have posted, some not the best quality. Um, obviously, you know, the kind of country that China is in regarding their tech and what what you are and not allowed to post and things of that nature. So there's a lot of undercover work um, going on in there. But I will tell you, there are a few major companies 
that get their supply chain. Um, some very specific, huge, posh sports com- uh, companies that get their supply supply chain out of Xinjiang. So I don't know if I should mention those on here. Um, it is in the article, I believe. Mm. Maybe not this article, but I'll show you where else it's posted. Uh, So Nike gets their supply chain out of there. I know this is going to hurt some people, um, especially here in Austin. uh, But Patagonia gets their supply chain out of there. Now, I would love to give companies the benefit of the doubt, like 100%. Like, hey, we go, when we investigate or when we go look and pick up our stuff, everything looks great. Everything looks uh, on the up and up. And that possibly may be the case. However, if you've also been hearing, because it it hasn't been a secret about Mulan. um, So if you've been hearing things, and this isn't the first time with Nike, if if you recall, um, that happened in the 90s as well. A lot of child labor going on there. There was a little boycotting going on. um, And I think the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, or like late 80s. But regardless, it's almost it's their job to constantly investigate where their stuff is coming from, right? We live in a world of information. So sometimes, like I said, given the benefit of the doubt, but I'm also like, you're a multi-billion dollar company. How did I hear that before you heard it, right? Like that's that's us challenging. It's not our job just to challenge like our government because that's where our money go is going. Your money is going to these companies as well. We are their consumers. We make them those billions of dollars. So we should be challenging them. Um, So again, we'll go way in depth in other episodes about labor trafficking and some of these companies. And for us to be smarter consumers, but it's also for us to challenge these companies and saying, you will do right by people, regardless if they live in my neighborhood or if they live across the pond, right? So wanted to give you that tidbit, Fair Labor Association. I'm like extremely proud and stoked of what they're doing um, because this is just going to be a game changer and it's going to make all companies or it should make all companies wake up and say, you're right. Right is right. Wrong is wrong, is wrong when it comes to um, humanity, right? And humans, right? human rights. So next one is um, commercial cleaning services, factories and manufacturing, like I just mentioned. Uh, and that's twofold if you if you thought about it, if you I don't know if anyone made that connection, but Mulan is arts and entertainment, Patagonia, Nike, right? Manufacturing. So they're intertwined. Um, carnivals and festivals, healthcare, care, um, bunch of different areas. Now. I would like to know when you're looking at these, right, these industries, do you see any public health issue? Do you see any economic issue or a public safety issue? How about um, judicial or or human rights, right? Or maybe see all of them. But this is where we got to start thinking is what kind of issue is this, right? Is it just a human rights issue? Heck no. It's not just a human rights issue. You can fit so many of these in there. And I don't say that to try to like push it and stretch it and make something that's not really there. No, the whole purpose of that is to see how much we don't need to work in silos and how interconnected that this issue really is and how much really bigger of a problem it is than than what we're thinking. So it's really for that purpose. 
And we just don't want anything slipping through the cracks. And this is how it does slip through the cracks. When we think it's just this issue over here, it's just that issue over there and no one's making those connections, right? But I know you, you guys, you're making that connection. So um, now, oh yeah, let's, let's go with that, that story. So I know many of us, right? Um, especially when I go into these industries and we kind of go in depth and we start breaking it down and talking about it all the time. It never fails. People's shocked reaction really, their response really is, oh my gosh, I work in that industry or my kids work in that industry or man, I had this client and this client, like their demeanor was just completely like off and not like having a bad day off, like something bad was happening or um, this employee in this space, something, again, something just not right, right? Like you can't put your finger on it, especially when you're not exposed to these things, but you know, you just know. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a quick, um, quick little story. So I like estheticians. Like that's my, that's my secret vice. Um, so going to estheticians, right? I have one esthetician who she was like a former pediatric RN. Um, she retired, then she went and became an esthetician. Love her, love her. The rest of the estheticians that I've had, um, their background is like high school and then become an esthetician. Okay. Now I, I preface with that because a lot of the individuals who don't have a background or maybe no experience, they know something is wrong. Every time when we get to know each other and they know what I do, it always pops up. They're like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about this time, this client. So I go and get them. This is obviously pre, uh, pre-COVID pre days. Go into the lobby, right? To receive them and take them to the back. Um, go in there, go to the lobby and the person they're with, sometimes a man, sometimes a woman, that relationship just was off. Like walking into the room, it was like cold. Like it just felt, and hey, maybe they had a fight. Maybe they're just not touchy people. Um, You know, something along those lines. However, that weirdness continues, right? Continues taking them to the back. Some people don't like to talk. However, most people are still like, okay, this is just like, they're just not real talkative people. But no, like their responses are just off. Like, I'm only doing this because he's making me. Or um, you can see just like no life inside of them anymore. And these estheticians, um, and it's been about a handful of stories, to be honest with you. And each one has said, you know, like, hey, I tried to talk to them, continue more. Like, hey, even asking the question, are you okay? Um, and just their intuition or their spirit was just like fire inside of them saying, hey, reach out, Re- just reach out and say something because they're like, Antoine, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to say. Like, I'm not going to go to the lobby and like clobber someone and point the finger and accuse them of something, right? I'm just, but I know something is off. And these estheticians, like I said, They weren't nurses before in their previous life. They weren't first responders or social workers. And I say all that because, again, that's what we need. We just need you in your space. Whatever you're an expert in, that's who we need. Because you're the individuals that are going to encounter these people right from the jump. Like, 
they're reaching out. Are you okay? And to me, and you know, when we talk to some survivors, they'll tell you someone just reaching out and saying you're okay is like, sometimes it can mean absolutely nothing because they're just, they're just so empty inside. But with others, it's like, oh, it almost like revives them again. Like there is humanity, right? There is better people out there um, that I want to surround myself with, that I want to be so on and so forth. It, it's it's like that hope, like that hope just kind of jumps back in them. So these estheticians were literally saving lives because their intuition, that fire inside of them, that spirit was telling them something is wrong, say something. And that's all we're asking is if you see something, say something, right? rather be safe than than sorry. Now, in order to prevent human trafficking, to protect victims and to prosecute traffickers, we need to dispel some of those myths out there, those misconceptions. Um, they're a huge part of the game. And this is why a lot of individuals kind of fall through the cracks um, is because we have a lot of bias misconceptions or just what the media has told us or something we saw. Um, and, you know, you couldn't decipher it yourself. So that's just what's in what's in our head. Right. So when I share some of these stories, you know, the, the Inhumane podcast, we like we stated, we want to give you the tips and tools and resources so you become like truly informed so you can do something about it so you can eradicate right human trafficking just as important is us protecting our survivors so when i share a story i've already been given permission whether years before right like just yesterday or what have you um but it's it's our job to protect them so i'm going to change their names unless they come on this show or there's an article and it's written for the public for them, um, or I'm not going to give you their name at all. So I just want to preface with that because that's extremely important for us. Um, and we just need to stick to that, you know, to keep that integrity um, 100%. So let's dispel or debunk some of these myths out there and misconceptions. So we're going to pop up this first slide for you. And they're not in order. They're just random um, well, they're not random myths. These are the the top myths, um, but they're just they're just not in order. Okay, so myth number one: human trafficking involves transporting someone into the U.S. Now, the reality is you have smuggling and you have trafficking. Okay, so they're they're two totally different crimes. They both are all about profit, right? And totally inhumane, but they're two totally different crimes. So you have human smuggling. That is a crime against a country's borders. Okay. Totally a crime against a country's borders. Trafficking is a crime against an individual, right? With what are those three words? Force, fraud, and coercion. Okay. So two totally different things. However, human smuggling can totally turn into trafficking easily. If the smuggler uses force, fraud, or coercion, right, and holds someone against their against their will, so for labor or sexual exploitation, so that's how it's different. So a lot of people they constantly think that it's it's like you're muling someone, right? Um, human trafficking. A lot of those individuals they're muling them, but they paid them to do so. Okay, so that's smuggling completely when it comes to a person. So completely different, but it can easily transition into human trafficking. All right, let's go to myth number two. 
Human trafficking victims will attempt to seek help. Oof. This one's deep. And we're just going to touch the surface because it is extremely complex. Um, most people cannot comprehend why these people just don't walk away. Well, the reality is that one, human trafficking is a mostly a hidden crime, right? We don't know that people are being trafficked. Um, and victims, they're, they have so much fear. They're afraid to come forward. Um, they're afraid to get help. They may be forced, right, or coerced um, to to stay through threats or violence. Their their family may be in danger as well, like threats and violence towards their family. So they'll take it, but they're not going to put that on to right to their family. Um, they may not even have possession of any identification because their trafficker has kept it. That's not only for like foreign nationals or, you know, or immigrants that can also be for American citizens as well. So they just have no identification. Um, and that's already the kind of the mindset beginning of no one will believe me, right? I don't even have, I don't have identification. Um, now, a lot of people, it's very easy. And a lot of people make a really snap judgment and they think, oh, this person's not even being trafficked. If they were, they would totally leave. There's a door. It doesn't even have a lock on it. They can completely leave, right? Um, now, most of the time, professionals, law enforcement, um, you know, the medical field, social workers, when they're doing like clinical interviewing, it even takes them a long time to uncover the whole truth and what this individual has actually gone through because trust is a factor. It's a huge factor. Um, and so it's just, we can't make judgments. And this is how these individuals really fall through the, fall through the cracks. Um, and to be honest with you, it, the statistics show it takes a survivor seven times to leave, like attempts to leave until they no longer go back. So that recidivism is high. They return. Um, and if you think about it, that's a huge psychological deal going on, right? So we think that majority of them are being shackled somewhere, but the mental shackle is the one that they can't escape from. And the word, sh I'll leave you with the word shame and guilt, right? So just think about in your everyday life, I'm sure majority of us have at one point in time been ashamed of something that we've done. We've had guilt of something. And many people carry that for decades. So if someone is being trafficked, think about that psychological damage, right? It is literally in their mind. That person is there like in their mind and they just have hold of it and they don't let it go. So that's why a lot of individuals do not seek help as well as they don't identify. So what you don't know is what you don't know, right? So a majority of us are like, oh, how do we identify human trafficking, right? Victims. Well, victims don't even identify themselves as a victim or that this trafficking is going on. Because what are those three words? Force, fraud, and coercion. When you got somebody like mind control in a sense over somebody, they're not seeing force, fraud, or coercion. Or they're seeing, I did this to myself right? They feel like they did this to themselves and they're kind of like just stuck there. So very complex. When we talk to some of our survivors, um, you'll kind of get a better insight of why this is the way it is. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the next slide. All right, moving on to myth 
number three or misconception number three. <clears throat> so human trafficking always involves the use of physical force. Well, I just mentioned the psychological damage that they do, right, on why they don't leave. So the reality is that trafficking doesn't require, <clears throat> excuse me, doesn't require like physical restraint or bodily harm or physical force at all. That psychological means of control of threats or force, fraud or coercion is an abuse, right? Like, like no other. Um, and honestly, if you look at from the labor, labor side of human trafficking, when someone's identification is being held or their passport or their visa, there's no physical harm. There are no bruises. I'm not breaking somebody's bones. They're not shackled or anything like that, but they're shackled because I have their visa. I have their passport. So doesn't mean physical. And that's another reason why it's kind of difficult to identify it when in those industries that I just showed you on some previous slides, because you're like, what? This person, they're talking to me. They don't have any bruises. They're not in the back of the room. This establishment looks great. Yet that owner is holding on to their visa and their passport and they got to pay a debt that they're never going to be able to pay off. Right. So again, that's why it's so dynamic. It's so complex and it's hard to detect doesn't require physical, um, physical force. Okay. Let's move on to myth number four. Human trafficking is something that happens in cities, not like rural areas. Couldn't be further from the truth. Human trafficking can happen to anybody in any setting. Okay. So <laughs> there's documentation of you know, reports happening right there in the urban cities in rural and suburban. And really every situation is unique. And each setting has its own population of people that are vulnerable to trafficking. So, I mean, I would love to live like in, um, like the Andy Griffith show kind of thing. Everybody knows everybody, right? You can leave your door unlocked and, um, you know, that that whole like scenario of just like good people around you all the time, regardless of that in today's world, like I said, those predators, those traffickers, phew, geniuses, they're going to be in a place a lot of times that you least expect it. Um, and you can be interacting with them that very day and they got some human trafficking business going on. So no one is immune no demographic, no building, no side of town is immune to uh, human trafficking. All right, let's move to myth number five. Oh, this one just, my blood boils <laughs> with this misconception that children and teens sometimes choose to enter, um, you know, into sex, into sex work. I'm I'm stunned. I'm stunned almost every time that that this comes up. Um well, just like a minor can't legally um like open a bank account or um go buy a car, right? They can't um they can't sign away their life either and say, yes, I'm going to be a, a sex worker. Okay. They can't participate in commercial, in the commercial sex industry. It's just, it's against the law. Um, and so any child who is found in, you know, being sexually exploited um, in, in the commercial sex industry, they will be labeled a victim of exploitation, plain and plain and simple. However, every state in the United States, their laws vary. 
Okay. So I say all that because one, of course, we know no child is is a prostitute, right? <laughs> like even the word, and you, if you look up child prostitution, it's a thing. Like people label that. I call that child rape, right? Um, and I think we need to just start calling it what it is because, so let me put it in perspective for you. So if we had a child who was, uh, you know, being molested as well as being pimped out, that individual, if they got caught, they would be called a child molester or child rapist. Over here, we have a human trafficker. Yes, force, fraud, and coercion. We'll bring those words back up again legally. But if we also start calling that person a trafficker and a child rapist, I'm sorry, but or I'm not sorry, you're going to start seeing people look at this a lot differently. And then our laws might change a lot faster and a lot better to protect the most vulnerable, which are children, right? You can have the smartest child. They're still a child and they're extremely vulnerable. And these predators, they prey on them. And unfortunately, some of our laws, um, some of our laws do not see some of these children as victims. So for example, I mentioned peddling and begging right earlier and some traffickers, um, that's their jam. They send these kids or uh, young you know, youth and they send them out to go beg and go peddle for money and then they bring it back. Um, truancy, um, right? Because their trafficker is telling them, hey, you got to leave school. This is what you got to do. Loitering, um, drug possession, drug use that the traffickers, they want them to get caught. They're not going to possess anything. Okay. They're not going to be out loitering. They're not going to be out um, peddling or begging for money. So these kids, right, these children, these teens, they get picked up. And then guess what? They get a charge. Regardless if it's a juvenile charge or not, they get charged. And we're not really looking at the deeper, like what's deeper, right? They're totally get misidentified as what? If you if if the neighbor's kid got picked up for, um, you know, jacking a car or you saw them at the local market and peddling for money and they look like they were high and they had some drugs, what would you say? Oh, I knew their kid was trouble. Right. Like, come on, we would say it. <laughs> Be real. You would say that kid. Right. Troubled kid. And in reality, we're not investigating deep enough and these kids, they get misidentified. And a lot of times there's an adult behind them that is there's force, fraud or coercion going on. So that labels them a human trafficking victim, not a troubled kid. Hey, and I grew up in a strict household and I, you know, my parenting's a little bit different in the sense of, you know, I like firmness. I was a classroom teacher. I'm about you know, order. So there's no chaos. So I'm not saying that some children are not doing some of these things because they're just acting out. Yeah, that's totally the case on some of them. But I'm just saying we need to be more informed and actually investigate better so that this child is not a victim. That's all I'm saying. So um, we cannot say that children and teens want to be part of the sex work, right? Like sexual commercial sex industry. I find that hard to believe. I've never met a child or grew up with a child that said, hey, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. Or when I grow up, I want to be a stripper. N not ever. 
Not once, not ever. I've never heard anyone say that. So we got to look a little bit deeper. Okay, myth number six. We have human trafficking only occurs in bad underground or illegitimate industries. That's kind of circling back to what I mentioned earlier, right? Like, hey, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't hang out in those areas. Um, You don't need to hang out in those areas because human trafficking is not just there. The reality is they occur in legal and legitimate businesses just like they do in the underground markets. So you have in every single state from Hawaii to New York, from Florida to Alaska, where human trafficking has been reported in legal businesses, like businesses that you could look up at the secretary of your state, right? Um, you could look up those. And that's anywhere from restaurants to hotels, construction, landscaping, um, as well as the sex brothels um, and illicit massage massages that are going on. So it's it's everywhere. It's not immune. So then again, I asked that question, how many slaves did you see today? It's a sad question. But being on myth number six, I'm hoping that you're, you know, your your eyes are getting bigger, but your mind is opening up as well, right? And we no longer have our own our own biases. But again, what we know, what, what we don't know is what we don't know. But now you're starting to find out what the real truth is. Okay, let's move on to myth number seven. Many of these relationships are simply business relationships. Now, in some cases, you know, it may resemble as a business transaction. So, um, for example, like escorting, okay? Like, oh, somebody chose to do that, right? They picked up the phone and called that agency. They chose to be an escort for the night. That's true. Now, freedom of choice is like, a cornerstone, right, for the United States of America, plain and simple, freedom of choice. Now, when a business partnership begins to infringe on another individual's freedom, that is no longer just a partnership. So again, we're biased in the sense of like, hey, that was a business transaction. They chose to go in that space. Um, However, when one starts to infringe and you have that force, fraud, or coercion, that changes the game and it is illegal to do so. All right, myth number eight. The living situations are better than where the person originally lived. Um, Isn't it better than in their home country? Now, obviously, this is talking more about, um, you know, immigrants or foreign nationals. And in the reality, the reality of it is this form of exploitation, whether it's labor or it's sex, No matter the location or the living situation, exploitation is just wrong, right? It's just wrong. It's illegal and it's inhumane, plain and simple. So taking away a person's humanity and their freedom and their freedom of choice is just, it's immoral. So regardless of where they came from, I don't care if they lived in a shack, if their floor was a dirt floor, um, It's just immoral to do so. So they can't be exploited regardless if they have citizenship or they don't. All right. um, Number nine. You know what? Let me let me go back to to eight on that last statement, just because I know it's such a hyper political issue 
and everyone wants to make that an issue, right? So I guess just one last take on that is if it can happen to immigrants and, you know, some a foreign individual, how long do you think it'll take before it creeps over? If it never happened to American citizens, right? How long would it take before it trickled over, right, to American citizens? You have to think about that, okay? Regardless of what you, what you vote for, um, just a human is a human, period. And once you start losing your humanity for one, then it ends for the rest of us, right? So you just got to kind of keep, keep that in, in mind. So, okay, um, let's move on to number, um, I think I'm on number nine. <laughs> yeah, number nine. Okay, all commercial sex is human trafficking. Now, the reality is of that is that all commercial sex for a minor is totally 100% labeled as human trafficking and it's illegal for a minor. Okay. They do not, they cannot give consent like we mentioned earlier. Now, commercial sex involving an adult is not human trafficking. Okay. Um, unless there is those magic three words, force, fraud, or coercion. Once those three come into play, then it's human trafficking. Until then, it's just, it, it's not looked at as, um, as human trafficking at all whatsoever. Okay, so as I stated before, kind of just to keep in mind, though, it's so underreported. Many victims will not or do not report that they are being trafficked. So we as law enforcement, we in the judicial system, we in the healthcare system, if these individuals, you know, have to go to the hospital for some um, reason, we have to start digging a little bit deeper. Because one, some don't self-identify, like we mentioned, most don't self-identify actually, um, as well as we don't know the whole story, right? Because they're being forced, there's fraud and there's coercion. And that fear and that psychological manipulation has such a stronghold that they're never going to tell you the story, um, or at least in the first interaction, right? So that trust building takes some time to do. Um, so it's essential that we that we get to the bottom of it and know the whole truth. All right. Myth number 10, labor trafficking is only a primary or a problem in developing countries. Labor trafficking absolutely 100% occurs in the U.S. as well as other developed countries. Um, Again, going back to that slide that will be up um, for you, but the one that has all the other industries in it, you see it. You encounter slaves all day long. Um, Construction is happening everywhere, right? We've been in a construction boom for a few years now. Um, That's an industry there in itself. So the problem is labor trafficking and children, one is a huge problem. But in 2012, the um, ILO, which is the International Labor Organization, they actually estimated that there were more than four times more than four times as many children trafficked for labor than sex. That's huge. The problem is, is that labor trafficking, it just, it's, it's underreported. So one, sex trafficking is already underreported. Labor trafficking is even more so because I kind of feel like sex trafficking and, and it's over-sensualized, right? Like you're going to trigger an emotion 
in somebody's like some really strong emotions. So people always focus a lot on the sex trafficking, not that it doesn't need attention at all whatsoever, but I'm going to say something that might strike a chord in people, but it needs to be said when it comes to labor trafficking, that makes us look at ourselves, right? That makes us look at where we get our clothes. That makes us look at ladies or men where we get our nails done. That makes us look at our whole lifestyle. And are you willing to give some of those things up? Are you willing to challenge that environment? You'll challenge sex trafficking all day long. Well, majority of people do. Um, but labor trafficking, that makes us really look at ourselves more because now we're realizing, oh my gosh, I could or absolutely am participating in some human trafficking regarding labor, right? So labor trafficking absolutely happens. We'll talk more about um, labor trafficking, but I'm really hoping that kind of opens things for you in the sense of where do you shop, right? Where do we get our services? Who does cut my lawn if I don't cut it my myself? So, and, you know, I live in Texas, so um, we're very close to the border. There are a lot of services going on. Um, some people may be trafficked, some people may not. But what are we looking at? Are we just not looking at all, right? It's kind of like that, those three monkeys here, see right? Uh, talk like we, there's none of it going on. Um, but labor trafficking is going to open a lot of your, your mind. So think about that. There are four times more children being labor, being trafficked in labor than they are with sex trafficking. So we need you on both sides, right? One is not more important than the other. They're both just as important because that makes them vulnerable. Um, I don't know how many studies there are, but we'll look into that more in regards to if there's a child being labor trafficked, what is the relationship with them eventually being sex trafficked, right? Like, can't tell me that's not happening. So anyway, something to really take in consideration um, and trying to debunk that, that misconception for sure. All right, myth number 11. Those who hurt children, women, and or men alike look creepy, like just creepy individuals. So they're so easy to identify. I wish I had a buzzard that actually would be like, a like absolutely 100% wrong, right? These people, they all don't look creepy. The reality is most of those individuals who are buying, selling, and abusing these, you know, humanity altogether, these humans, um, they live ordinary, respectable lives. You've heard story after story that um, these individuals are educators or they're coaches or they're pastors or they're law enforcement, judges, politicians, um, you know, all over the place. These perpetrators, they purposefully find positions of power and trust. So they're looking for those organizations where there are a lot of vulnerable. There are a lot of children, because I mentioned, it doesn't matter what demographic you are, children are still vulnerable, period, right? They look for those um, to be a foster care parent or um, to run a group home or to be an individual who interacts with them all the time, a mentor at a school, uh, you know, extracurricular activities. They look for that. 
They look for that because they know no one is going to trust them, right? Or not trust them. Like it's nothing but trust. Now, to, d- to go a little bit further, that hopefully will really make you start questioning. We think it's just one. So for example, we're thinking, okay, um, there's this one individual, he was a coach for an extracurricular, you know, activity, or she was a coach. And um, she obviously betrayed our trust, she trafficked these children, so on and so forth. Well, most investigations, when it's one individual, we think it's one individual, but in reality, they place themselves in this in this place of trust, because now they can open up this gate to all of their other traffickers, right? So these children or this demographic or this individual who's being trafficked is not being trafficked by just this one person. Like it's bigger than that. That's why you're hearing when you see some of these busts and they say trafficking ring. Yeah, it's a ring because once one is in, they're opening the door for all their other predators, right? I was going to call them something not nice, but um, I changed it to predators. So that's so sick. And we put them in this place of power and we trust them and we're never questioning people. So uh, I had a conversation earlier and I I briefly mentioned and I didn't to go, go deep into it, but like growing up, my brother and I were not allowed to stay the night. Like I had no idea what an actual sleepover was. Like he did not care. I granted, I grew up um, in the eighties where, you know, it was starting to become part of like PSAs of molestation and like they were starting to talk about it and how it happens in families as well, which trafficking does too. And my dad was just like, okay, we're going to not even have that conversation ever. Um, you're never allowed to go anywhere. And so of course that makes it hard growing up, but obviously, um, as an adult and being in this field, so grateful in a lot of ways, like so grateful. So I say all that because you need to start questioning, right? I'm not saying to be a skeptic and, um, you know, put your kids in a bubble. That would be ideal. And sometimes we think that our kids are in bubbles, uh, yet predators can access them in all kinds of ways. Um, and this is, and this is one of them. Um, too often we hear, you know, like it's a neighbor down the street or it's a family member and it's hard to prosecute a family member, right? You got half the family that probably doesn't believe you and won't talk to you and hates you for life. And then the other fam- part of the family is like, oh, thank you. I, I, I'm glad you did it because I wanted to, but I thought the family would hate me, but now they just hate you. Right. So this is bigger than than what we think. And it is more intimate than what we think. It is closer than what we think. And it's time for us to start questioning everyone. And I'd rather you question me than you just assume I'm a phenomenal person, right? Um, they really come from all walks of life and we really need to start start paying attention to that um, and questioning it. Okay, so I bet you're asking like, whoo, that was a lot of myths. I'm ready to take action. Why do we have to go through them? So on and so forth. Well, you heard me mention it a couple times, but a lot of these uh, victims and survivors, they fall through the cracks or um, we treat them for something else like a criminal act, right? 
or we re-traumatize them. And that is the furthest thing that we want to do. We never want to re-traumatize, but it's so easy to do so because we have these misconceptions in our head based off of our experience, based off of, like I said, what pop culture is telling us or the media is telling us. And here we need to debunk these and dispel them before we can ever begin to identify because that's how they get misidentified all the time because we don't, we just assume. And, and sometimes it's hard to believe like, Ooh, well, you kind of chose this. Um, and then it kind of happened to you, right? Like a lot of times that's kind of the space that we come from and we need to have that mindset of maybe you chose this, but you didn't choose that, right? It turned into trafficking that you didn't choose. You chose something else, but someone forced you or there was fraud, right? Lying, fraud, or coercion. So you got to go back to those three so we can have these unbiased conversations and and be an abolitionist from this unbiased state of mind, okay? So um, you, you'll be able to find all of these, uh, this, this like fact sheet, if you will, um, on the Inhumane uh, podcast, uh, the YouTube channel and Twitter and Instagram and share it. Share it with your loved ones. Um, that's how you can protect them the most. They can have those conversations with their kids, right? Um, colleagues and communities. Um, share, share it with, with everyone. Okay. Now, our next slide is basically our call to action. Okay. So what is our call to action? Um, I mentioned earlier a couple of stories about people kind of encountering or they had a thought or their intuition or their spirit was telling them like, hey, something funky is just going on right here, right? Like it just, it just is. And I don't know what to do. Um, One of the things that is extremely important is to call the human trafficking, the national human trafficking hotline. Okay. Now I have my phone with me because... I'd like to show you, I have it on my um, favorites and you can see obviously the number on the screen, but it's really important, I think, to plug it in on your phone because we leave the place or wherever we saw it, it, it's like, it's not at our fingertips, right? So here it's plugged in on your phone. If you're serious about helping, you know, abolish uh, human trafficking, eradicating it altogether. These are just some of the baby steps, but they're so vital. When you have that intuition, when you have that spirit just rising up inside of you, it your body's telling you to do something, right? And you don't know what to do, but this is at least one thing you can do. You're putting yourself in, not, you're not putting yourself in harm's way, right? But you're calling it. And you see the number on there, 1-888-373-7888, right? You can text it as well. You can text the 233-733 and you can text help or info. So if, I mean, I get calls sometimes when kids are missing family member, like a teenager took off or what have you, um, you know, and it's like, hey, at least send this on their phone. So if 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 this is happening to them, right, they're able to text right away, uh, things of that nature. So plug this in on your phone. We're, we're encountering, as you can see, you're encountering slaves all the time. We just didn't know what to look for, right? We didn't, we didn't think it was happening in legitimate businesses. Um, we just thought sketchy businesses. Nope. Some of the most posh ones are the ones that are doing the most damage. So plug that in on your phone. 
simultaneously find your local law enforcement that you would call. Okay. Some of them have specific numbers because they have a human trafficking task force. Um, so you plug them in as well. Now there's, there's two reasons for this. One, we don't want anyone falling through the cracks. They are getting better. Um, entities are getting better at talking to each other. However, I wouldn't chance it. These systems are so big. They work in a lot of silos. There's a lot of people working and constantly falling through the cracks. So I mentioned that trafficking ring, right? Like you, you've been seeing some of that. And so a lot of times when you have local law enforcement and then you have the national you know, task force or law enforcement and they start investigating and looking, this is happening locally, right? And they may be doing a lot more investigation because they're local. Well, when they team up with national or vice versa, they start to figure out, oh my gosh, this is happening across states. Well, locally, they wouldn't have access to that, right? So you think you're saving one, but in reality, you could be saving literally like hundreds. You just don't know, as well as putting away more than one individual, because most of the time it's not, they're not being trafficked by one person. They're just passing along, right? It's sad to say, but that's what's happening. So we got to look on this grander scale um, and you're only helping one locally, but you never know what that trickle effect is going to be. So plug both of those into your phone. Um, it'll also help law enforcement as well, right? Not just uh, not just that individual, but it, it'll just, it'll help them and help kind of all of us and all communities working together to eradicate human trafficking. Now, our second call to action, again, baby steps, right? But our second call to action, because it is, you know, National Human Trafficking Awareness Month um, and we're coming up on Human Trafficking Awareness Day on January 11th, is do your research, Okay especially we all know algorithms, right? So your algorithms might start changing. Some human trafficking nonprofits might be popping up on your stuff or what have you. Start researching. They're not all good. Okay. Um, as well as they may be good or they may be great, but they may not also like align with your values. Okay. So give them a call, send them an email, start asking specific questions. So some questions, for example, if you were, um, if, if it was an entity that had like some short-term or long-term housing, like they had beds for some of our uh, survivors, right? Because they got out of their life, they don't have a place to stay. Some of the questions you could be asking is, hey, what's the intake process, right? Like how long do they get to stay? Some, it's very short. And so we talked about that recidivism and why it's high. Some of these are short and they get kicked out. Well, now where are they going to go, Right. There aren't an abundance of beds. So you can ask them that question. Um, you know, how, how much would it take for them to stay a little bit longer, right? What are some of the material needs? Okay, so, um, you know, they need bedding. Do they need clothes? Do they need shoes? So on and so forth. Um, we could ask those questions. Where specifically is your money going for A, B, C, and D, right? Like what kind of therapy are they getting? That therapy may not align with your values. Some of them don't align with mine. So I don't necessarily support those, but that's my personal preference. I support those that align with my values. So you got to take those into consider into consideration. Call them, ask questions. They should be able and they should be willing to share that information with you. Um, again, 
none of these entities should be working in silos and none of these entities should keep all of this information to them to themselves. They should be willing to share it. Yes, there is some confidential and there is some information that you can't share because you need to protect them 100%. That's another question you can ask them is how are you protecting these survivors, right? What is it that you're doing to decrease the recidivism? Tons of questions you can ask. Okay. So get to know these organizations that you think you want to work with or that you want to donate money. Don't just throw them your money. Don't just throw them your time. Ask conversation or, you know, have a conversation, ask deep questions, um, figure out who it is that you want to associate yourself with. Um, I bet the parents that are listening to this and who just bought that Disney, uh, (laughs) subscription that they'll be watching, they might be thinking twice, right? If all of this is is uh, true in regards to Disney and, and Mulan. So they might be thinking twice, but it's like we already got into bed with them, right? So that's my point is do your research, start asking questions. Um, honestly, you're doing it for the survivors as well that are in these entities. Um, you're asking for them. You're asking for future individuals who are going to cross this nonprofit or government entity's path. So you have the right to ask these questions. Um, it's a way to protect, um, support, right, these these survivors. Um, and in reality, all of this is really to prosecute those traffickers so that we can eradicate this and don't have these problems. So there's a lot of myths. Um you know a lot of things now, by all means, please go and research more. Uh, Just don't take everything that I say, go a little bit deeper if you want, but this podcast is going to give you deep. We just needed to start here. So thank you so much for joining us. Please visit the Inhumane podcast on Instagram and Twitter and the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel. Go hit like, um, but just as equally I hope that you shared this episode with your family, your friends, your important circle, uh, because really we just need more abolitionists like you. So until next time, thanks so much. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.